Well, Brent is gay, and Kaylin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Issue 148. I'm Brent Wingate. I'm Kaylin. I'm Clark. I'm Ryan. And I'm Adam Gazzari. <laughs> oh, look at that. Okay. Very so, sultry. Uh, just starting out, uh, one of our, our big star, M Mr. Big Show, Kalen Batia. <laughs> uh, you recorded a Comic-Con panel. You were interviewed about it. Uh, do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, it was really fun. We recorded a few weeks ago, and it was the, um, the brainchild of uh, uh, Chandler, who is one of the co-hosts of X Reads Podcast, really nice guy based on the West Coast. He gathered a bunch of uh, ex-podcasts, including Homo Superior, uh, um, uh, House of X, which is a brand new podcast, same name as the, uh, the Facebook group that a lot of us are on, uh, and a couple of other folks, including an uh, amazing cosplayer uh, named Amanda Lynn Schaefer, who um, was featured on an issue of X-Men, Extraordinary X-Men, actually, back in like 2014, 2015, and one of the cosplay variants. Like She's super talented. So we got together, we just, uh, it was, uh, the pretense was just to talk about X-Men and geek out about it. And then uh, we ended up having some really cool guest stars, uh, including two voice actors uh, from uh, X-Men the Animated Series, including Cathal uh, uh, Dodd, who plays uh, Wolverine, uh, and Lenore Zahn, who plays Rogue. And Lenore um, uh, is now a member of parliament in Canada, and she represents Nova Scotia. So. She like went from being rogue to uh, going up to the great, great white north, and uh, you know, being a, a member of parliament. It's pretty cool. Uh, just like Psylocke, had... actually. Just like, uh, <laughs> just, just yeah, just like Psylocke. God, Betsy Braddock, you know. Uh, and then um, we also had uh, kind of a famous actress, uh, Fanola Hughes, uh, who played Emma Frost in the Gen X movie that nobody watched in the '90s. It was Loved like. It. Or, yeah, nobody wants to remember. <laughs> nobody wants to remember, but I will say this. She's a very talented actress, and she was a much better uh, Emma Frost than January Jones ever could have hoped to be. So I know that's a low bar, but um, if they ever wanted to redo Generation X or bring in Emma properly, um, you know, Fanola would, could, could still do a really good job. I know Clark's a huge fan of her so, because of so, all my children. So when I saw, no, you were wrong, but that is partially true, actually. Um, I wanted to punch Kalen in the face the moment she showed up. I was so mad at him <laughs> because all I wanted to talk about was her character, Anna Devane from General Hospital, who I've been watching since like the early 90s, not even like eight, late 80s, actually. So I was very humorously upset. <laughs> and now, now I want to be friends with her. Well, she was delightful. And she had like her kids kind of showed up in the, in the video and everything. And she just seemed like a really... She just seemed really cool. All three of them were like super cool, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and um, I know uh, we're going to be. Yeah. Where can you listen to it, Kayla? Well, you can watch it on um, Comic-Con's uh, channel. Um, we actually posted it out on Homo Superior through Twitter and Instagram, uh, as did our uh, sister podcast, X-Rays Podcast and House of X. Uh, and we'll post it again when we, uh, when we promote this podcast. So um a lot of ways to watch it. Um, it was a lot of fun. It's just a bunch of, you know, a bunch of nerds geeking out over Zoom. It was great. Awesome. Can I ask, Kalen, is that the, the most famous person you've met who's done something with the X-Men? Not a, not a comic book creator, but like in any of the visual medium, like TV or movies? Um... Definitely, probably for X Men, but I've met Rosario Dawson before. Ooh, and, like remember oh. she would played she was in uh, the uh, Marvel Netflix shows as like the night nurse, basically. Um, mm, yeah. So yeah, so um, I met her a number of years ago because she, uh, my day job, you know, I do I work in politics, and uh, she was the spokesperson for Voto Latino, which is a organization that represents uh, Latinx uh, individuals, make sure that, you know, that they, that they go, go vote. Um, and when I met her, I totally like got starstruck and I was like, Miss Dawson, I really liked you in 25th hour. And then she just looked at me and was like, 
yeah, right on. And then turned away. And my coworker looked at me and said, I'm never taking you anywhere. <laughs> wow. That's funny. You're, you're terrible. I am terrible. It's uh, Miss Dawson, too. That's crazy. Drowning out Ryan Kroll. <laughs> Pretty hard to do. Okay, so uh, someone asked the X-Men group editor, Jordan D. White, uh, if there was going to be anything happening with the Children of the Atom series, which was supposed to have its first issue released in, in the middle of April. Um, the, it was, it's written by Vita Ayala, and the art is from Bernard Chang. Um, he simply responded with a yes, that there is gonna be something that happens with them. Um, we know that they've basically set their schedule up through October of what they're actually gonna start releasing now that they're releasing more of the X series uh, regularly. Uh, November, December, but I mean, basically we know it's still going to come out it's not shelved. It'll, it'll come out after uh, Ten of Swords is over. Mm, um, right. So it'll be at the earliest November. My guess is probably January. Just everything kind of got moved back. Um, you know, it, uh, I think they made some decisions, even though it was solicited for April. I think they made some decisions to like, let's just hold us back so it doesn't quite, you know, because it may not gel with exactly what, um, you know, the direction of the X books right now. I just hope it's still relevant by the time it actually lands, you know. Uh, I think it will be. I mean, it seems it, they probably had like the first few issues written and I don't know how many drawn, but I think if they've got to make any changes to represent the new status quo, um, I'm sure they'll yeah. find a way to do it. They're all on Zoom the whole time. Yeah, it was supposed yeah. to follow the, uh, the sidekicks of, you know, each of the kind of major X-Men who are doing stuff uh, around Krakoa. So it seems like if they're moving on with the rest of the story of Krakoa, it's a little bit weird to go back and- That's what I worry about. It might, you know. I mean, I think it might be, yeah, it might not be a bad idea to kind of retool it and see um, like what what is reflected in the status quo moving forward. And you can still like play with a lot of the themes. Cause it I mean, wasn't, I, I don't think it was actually sidekicks. I think they were like, idolizing just fanboys like they were yeah they were fanboys and fangirls uh and, and fan non non and fan non-binaries yeah yeah the 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 article from games radar says younger sidekicks in quotation marks so you know they also said that uh, you know jordan d white bluntly responded on twitter <laughs> said yes so i guess it's yes, not really leave me alone uh, so, uh, staying with Marvel, uh, the Fantastic Four, uh, Marvel had released a solicit, the solicit for the Fantastic Four 25, and they said, quote, this issue has it all. New artists, new uniforms, and a new major permanent status quo change for Marvel's first family. And then they're like, also Dr. Doom will be in it, and someone returns from the dead. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen any of the uh, cover art that they've been working on, but one of the, the issue for 25 has, um, what are their names? I always forget their names. Valeria. The kids. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, you mean Frank Valeria. And uh, so presumably the huge major change will happen to them. You know, the new uniforms and the new uniforms. What do you think? What do you expect? Clark, why is your face the green screen in an all tennis ball covered room? Colored room. <laughs> well, the room is actually, oh God, my. <laughs> so much Clark, Clark is, is terrifying. Uh, wait, face Clark, where your face is supposed to be. Clark, don't move for a second because I want to take a photo. We can post it on Instagram. The, 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 but, but do start talking so I can get a bigger. <laughs> It's literally not registering you as a human, which may be right, honestly. No, it looks dog, I'm a dog with a nose. Um, <laughs> the room is actually kind of like a, a seafoam green, so the light is just making it look like this. <laughs> My teeth keep showing up. It's really creepy. Uh, oh, and anyways, I forgot what your question was. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Does anyone have any opinions about the new Fantastic Four? 
Well, it's going to be the new status quo after Empire is done. Um, clearly, that's what it's going to be. Uh, and then they're going to, yeah. in, in one of the uh, the cover arts, they had the uh, the little uh, Cree uh, uh, boy and Skrull girl, or was it the other way around? I think it was like Skrull boy. Oh, that's I right. can't remember. From from uh, Empire Fantastic Four number zero that we reviewed about uh, a couple weeks ago. So I'm glad that they'll be part of like the the team or the ancillary part of the team because they're really fun characters from that yeah. one issue. Um, I wonder who I wonder who's coming back from the dead. I'm very curious about that. Mm. Who would it, like uh, most important characters in the entire cosmos? Who's dead? That's one of the most important characters in the entire cosmos. Galactus. No, he's still alive. No, I don't know, honestly. I, and especially in the Fantastic Four, like, realm, I don't know who would be significant enough. Is that this, Thanos is currently dead, right? The suspicion was that it would be... So no, Thanos has taken over the body of his brother. Uh, oh, right, that's right, yeah, from um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, unless something new happened, and I don't know. It, what about um, Anil Annihilus? Is he, is he still dead, or is he alive? He's fine. He, he, yeah, she's he, fine. He, she's in her own world. Yeah, she's hanging out. What were you going to say, Brent? The suspicion oh, or the battle about is? The suspicion is about uh, Silver Surfer who got sucked into that black hole. And then in that wonderful Donny Cates storyline, Silver Surfer Black, he kind of transformed as a result of his interaction with Null. Um, is he back? I don't know. I don't know how, what he would come back. Maybe he comes back uh, as Silver Surfer you know, up and ready for the King in Black storyline, or the King of the Dead, what is it? King in Black, the, you're right. You got it right. First time. Um, uh, that's actually not a bad idea. Because I, um, I do think uh, there is going to be uh, like a tie-in between Empire and uh, the King in Black. Yeah. Uh, Donny Cates was even interviewed by saying that um, our favorite our favorite writer, Donny Cates, Clark, mm. we're, we're all going to marry him. Uh, we're going to have a big polygamous wedding, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but... Um, I think that might be a. a Can Donny Cates write the vows? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be great. My my favorite part about the release is that there's going to be new uniforms, and the biggest change is that instead of blue on black, it's going to be black on blue. Life changing, <laughs> so different. different. You mean just like old times? Going to. Yeah, it seems like they're flipping back to standard colors from the, their original costumes, but I, I, don't, I don't know if they'll be that different. I don't. You were talking about the kids. I don't know how. I don't know. They just gave them all new setup with like aging the hell out of them, and suddenly Franklin wants to have black hair for some fucking reason. I don't know. I feel like are they gonna? He's gonna dye his hair pink or something and become a god. Yeah, that's Clark. As soon as number twenty-five hits, his hair will be blue. And I'll have a slight black tint. <laughs> okay, that, that works. That makes sense. As, as, long as, as long as Sue isn't getting bangs, I think it's going to be work out fine. <laughs> looks. Hey, 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 hey. Bangs are great. Ask Ileana. Lots <laughs> later on this podcast. She's right? the only one. Her and Do Zoe Deschanel can pull them off. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you moving on? Yeah. Um, that's what I said. So moving on. Um, Netflix is making adaptation of the Vertigo comic series Sandman. Uh, it was supposed to be released, I thought, in 2021, but I don't know if the production's been delayed. At any rate, the news that we have about it is that Neil Gaiman has confirmed that the series will be set in the year 2021 rather than the uh, 1988 that it was set in before, which was like seven decades after the main character Morpheus was imprisoned uh, by the Order of the Ancient Mysteries. Um, he talks a lot about how it's gonna be like modernized and how Hollywood has finally caught up to the writers. Um, I don't know, I, I, I guess I got mostly concerned that Neil Gaiman is gonna be an executive producer on it and one of the writers for it because he doesn't know how to self-edit for TV. Thank you. True. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I was a Sandman so fan from back in the day, and it's, like, him not being, like, I, he needs to take a step back from some of that stuff to let other people interpret his work rather than him trying to cram in every single thing, which is the problem with Good Omens. I'm sorry, Clark, I didn't mean to cut you off. You're fine. 
No, I was just, it's not, I mean, it's obviously related. Um, the audio book series came out on the 15th, which I, I downloaded, have not listened to it yet. And at some point I'll talk about it. Um, it's the one that it has, um, I'm going to say B.B. Newworth first, because she's my favorite of the people on it. Ooh. Who's talking? Michael Michael Sheen, Andy Serkis, Samantha Morton, Bill Gaiman, Tara Edgerton, Riz Ahmed, etc. And I'm excited to listen to it, because I've never read the comic before. Because really? I You've never read it? Well, because I can't, as we know many times, I get crazy into something i'm gonna literally just sit in my room for weeks learning about every single part of it and if i well, actually couldn't we're all stuck at home clark what else are you no, gonna do I've got learn that universe. Okay, i'm playing right. red dead revolution or Re redemption 2 right now and i haven't played it since i bought it in 2018 yeah clark we're all you now so deal with it okay <laughs> you're not original <laughs> Um, I uh, recently reread uh, through Comicsology Unlimited the Death miniseries, which is a spinoff of uh, Sandman. Death was, you know, Dream Sister. She's one of the endless. There's like seven of them. And that was my first foray into the whole Sandman universe. And it surprisingly held up really well. Um, it was uh, the first time I ever saw Chris Bacalo's art, and it blew me away. Um, and it was like pre Generation X, Chris Bacalo. Um, obviously written by Neil Gaiman, and it was the story of, like, death having to be mortal for one day, and she's got to do that, like, once a century. Um, and uh, it was just a really cute little storyline. And then, like, when I read Sandman, um, after that, like, I started, I was like, oh, I was like, you know, uh, Chris Evans playing Steve Rogers. I understood that reference. Uh, like, it was, uh, it was funny, just, like, kind of came into Sandman sideways. And I, like, Sandman was something I, I loved, like, you know, when I was in, like, junior high, high school, college. But as an adult, I wonder if it'd be a little too, like, purple prose, a little too, like, hot topic, you know, a little too, like, goth for me now. Uh, but I do think Neil Gaiman's a talented writer. I just think he should stick to books and occasionally comics because TV is not a wonderful medium for him. Yeah, I think probably the the thing that also doubly concerns me, like if it was for maybe HBO, I would probably feel a little bit differently. But I think Netflix's worst instincts are to let things drag out, to feel like it loses focus, to add filler episodes. And for someone like Neil Gaiman, I don't know that that's a benefit. Mm -hmm. Well, and the other thing is like, there's 75 issues of source material, 75 plus issues of source material. So there's a lot they can do without making it feel like filler, but there's a, a lot of the, the issues are also, I wouldn't call them filler. They're just like, okay, there's these sort of side stories to help fill out the universe a little bit. Uh, but I don't know how well they're gonna be adapted or be able to be adapted. Like certain storylines for sure. Um, the first storyline is so seeped into the, and this is what was gonna drive Clark away from this, is so seeped in like DC lore because it like features the Justice League it's got like John Constantine, although Constantine is a much more of a, like a Vertigo-esque like character that works in that universe a little bit. Uh, but like Gaiman, I mean like Sandman premiered before Vertigo existed as an entity. And so it was a mature reader's title in DC, but it was very much still a DC title in the same way that Doom Patrol was. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on in this podcast. Um, any other thoughts on uh, Sandman or Neil Gaiman? Nope. Okay. Moving on to Star Trek news. Um, so Nickelodeon is producing a Star Trek uh, CG animated series. Um, they've released the logo ahead of their Star Trek mega panel at Comic-Con at Home, which is, I think, the name of where you can watch this uh, mega panel. I don't know what the mega panel is. But I do know that the logo is for, it's called Star Trek Prodigy. And it will focus on a group of, you know, kind of rebellious uh, teenagers who find a Starfleet ship and then use that to engage in an adventure. This uh, sounds terrible. <laughs> it is CG. It is produced by Nick. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on like, uh, given that premise, what would be stories you might like to see? in a Star Trek universe. The How? Oh God, Ryan. No, just um, like coming of age, I guess, learning how to 
control the ship because they're children. So why are they controlling a ship? It's it, it's a lot of questions. They're prodigies. It's in okay, the great. title, Ryan. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I just um, remember like years ago they were talking about um, a um, a series Starfleet Academy, and it was never it never came out. I wonder if this is eventually this led to that. I'm sorry, Ryan. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I was going to say that may, like a Starfleet Academy makes sense to me of like a bunch of kids learning and trying new things with like some general supervision. I find that I, like, even as a kid, I always hated the storylines of like parents and adults are the worst. Only we know how to solve problems. And it's just like, this sounds so fucking stupid. Um, I guess the one benefit I could see is that there would be hopefully like the rest of Star Trek since its inception is about like helping to spread like diversity, inclusion, different perspectives. So I think there's a huge opportunity there, especially for kids to kind of pick up on those lessons. But like, I just, I, I hate every story that stars like main kids that are the only things that can actually like save or do anything. Uh, Ryan, I think uh, to go back to your, you know, thought, how do they control the ship? My hope is that the ship is named Prodigy and that the ship is like super well designed and controlled. So you like hit the start button and it does all the stuff, but it's like one of the early Star Trek ships so that every single navigator crew person you've seen in Star Trek has been pretending that their job is necessary. By just <laughs> stuff. Like, oh yes, we need to go to this quadrant. And the ship was flying that way on its own. <laughs> oh my God, now you, you just I gave me that. an idea. Brent, you just gave me an idea. So those, all those workers, they become redundant in the Federation. They're all unemployed. And then they end up electing like a Donald Trump-esque figure because he's like representing the forgotten man. And he's like railing against all the alien races. And it's, he's like an earth firster. And then it becomes this whole thing. I you went Hollywood, where is my you money? Where is my money? It's happening. I already know that's going to happen. I hate it. It's, um, I really hope that there's a bunch of like young red shirts that are on the team. So they're just basically <laughs> useless. Like they're just like, isn't that right? Share or whatever their fucking names are. Um, and she just goes, uh-huh. And just dies immediately. Yeah. Just I want to see a lot of kids get murdered. Oh yeah. That's what I'm tuning in for. Do you, do you think they're going to give the ship some sort of AI? So it can almost be like a future space version of Muppet babies. Like the, the kids are just going to be running nanny. around. <laughs> <laughs> the ship is just a nanny. Or, or, uh, or Mr. Belvedere. It's a British butler, but a spaceship. Oh, my God. Oh, Mr. Belvedere. And who says marmalade isn't delicious? <laughs> <laughs> is that what he said? It's in yeah. uh, Rick and Morty. Oh, yeah. Um, the, uh, the other thing I think is, obviously, it's going to have these this kind of group of rebellious teens interacting with other teens from different species. That was like the worst. I, well, I, I hope that for kids, it's like a commentary on like the unnecessary nature of war and, you know, blah, 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 that we can start and like inculcate them early that maybe just because you're adults, you're not always right. There's gonna be a hoverboard race between this group of people oh, and bitch. the space species that they yeah. find. And they're going to be got exactly. Um, so in other Star Trek news, there was a new trailer that was dropped uh, like a week and a half ago for the new show, uh, Star Trek uh, Lower Decks. Um, it is being written by Mike McMahon, uh, who is the head writer for Rick and Morty. Uh, the trailer actually looks okay. Um, not really funny, but kind of enjoyable. It very much looks like it could be in the same Rick and Morty universe, because I'm guessing they used the same production studio. Mm. Um, I don't know if you guys have any interest in this or if it's just take it as it is. You tell me, um, how, you tell me how it goes. <laughs> wow, that was punty. Um, I, I think I, I'll give it a shot. I will check it out, but um... Yeah, I'll just see how it goes. I'm not I'm not super jazzed about this, but I don't see being that wonderful, honestly. Kalen. It's supposed to be in canon. So it's not it's like it's supposed like like the stories are supposed to have an effect on what happens in Star Trek moving forward, whatever that means. 
So, um, I mean, I think it's kind of cool that they're using different medium to be able to do that because it's not just live action. They're doing, mm -hmm. you know, stuff that's animated. That's there's something about me that's a completist that kind of likes that. Does Star Trek have like canon comics as well, or no? Does anyone know? Not right now. Um, no, not right now. Uh, I mean, different publishers have definitely published it. Marvel had Star Trek. Right. DC had Star Trek. IDW had Star Trek. Wow. Um, and they did stuff within the universe, but it wasn't considered canonical. Right okay. now, the only extended, not extended universe, but like any like sort of like uh, sort of licensed property that's supposed, supposedly canonical is Star Wars. Uh, because like Lucasfilm is like very closely like working with Marvel on yeah. that. And that's why they haven't gotten too far ahead um, you know, of like, well, now episode nine, right. and they've only been filling in the gaps between like, you know, the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, and then like, obviously the new trilogy. Well, I can't wait for the future crossover episode where P an old Picard talks to an animated character. <laughs> <laughs> They're in the shared universe. Uh, with that, Adam, do you want to uh, talk to us about uh, the newest episode, the most recent episode, of Doom Patrol as of last week. <laughs> I sure do. Because did. we can't review things so, in real time. So, so um, Marvel just released, or Disney just released um, uh, information on their new TV show um, docuseries on Disney Plus called uh, Marvel 616, which is all these docu uh, documentary, short documentary films dealing with creators in the industry. And um, I think they're, they're starting off with the creation of Marvel Girl and dealing with women creators in, in Marvel Comics. And Jillian, um, who is from Community, what's her name? Jillian, some, Jillian whoever, is the um, one who's directing and interviewing people. It's mm. exciting. Oh, Jillian Jacobs, excuse me, from Community. Yeah. Cool. It's on, it's on I like Disney her. Plus. Yeah, it'll be on Disney Plus. Exciting. Um, All right, so Doom Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> On a different platform by a different company. Go, who, Adam. Who needs an agenda? Uh, Doom Patrol episode six did premiere last Thursday, but we're reviewing it today. Uh, and so in this episode, it kind of just obviously continued the story of what I believe to be a great second season. Uh, everyone's kind of got their own things going on. So Cyborg is helping his newfound uh, romance really understand what's going on with her body post removal of cybernetic enhancements only to find out that it is both Calder Robotics as well as Star Labs that may have had something to do with it. Uh, meanwhile, there was a few visits to the house by way of Calder's space team that was originally investigating at the same time of Larry Trainer. Um, the sort of, I don't know what you call it, like a supernatural force or what have you. Um, the, basically the, is actually hilarious uh, side story with the two little, what I, I mean, I just basically started calling them gay, but the two like lovebird astronauts along with a also negative spirit possessed um, Russian cosmonaut that originally went up into space, had a great conversation with Larry, got to process some of his family's issues. Rita was spending some time focused directly on learning uh, lines for the new role about what not was not a 1950s show, but instead a uh, very deliberate play about the attack on the town from the last season. And then we ended up in space because uh, Dorothy ran away um, and Jane's in trouble. There's a bunch of stuff happening in her head. And uh, now we are left with Cliff in space. And that's what you missed. Would you call it a cliffhanger? Yeah, what? I like that. What, what episode is this? I like that. Um, this, I, I love that this, this show just in general is just like, we're gonna introduce space travel. Don't worry about it. We're just in space now. I have two spaceships. Don't worry about anything. <laughs> just like, I like that they're cooking. Like, they don't yeah. care. We don't need to explain this. You can figure it out. We're fucking weird. I like that about this show. Yeah. So um, somebody, somebody, um, I guess, watched both episodes. Because when I, I just clicked on Watch Next, and I watched the most recent one, and I don't realize anything that happened 
even the episode before. really yeah i didn't watch the episode before so it felt perfectly normal but like literally the other episode in my mind almost didn't need to exist because of what it seemed like from the episode i skipped the new episode's really good you should watch it so i've said i've said a number of times that uh i'm amazed that the show is a show uh considering how wacky and weird it is but the more i think about it i think this should have always been a show versus a comic and i've loved the doom patrol comic for a number of years grant morrison has a legendary run the most recent runs by gerard way are very very entertaining but they're just almost like hey look how wacky we are like the show has a lot of heart uh, mm -hmm. and i think it's because of the way the actors have chemistry with each other timothy dalton is a fucking gem um, mm -hmm. And I'm so glad he's in every episode of season. Clark, yep. I think you mentioned that he was only in the first season sporadically, and the first season suffered as a result of it. His uh, interactions with the rest of the cast were wonderful. I love that, like most of the time, they're not even really a team; they're just kind of like a little bit of a damaged family, and that works so well. And especially in the sort of era of like you know peak TV, prestige TV, it just feels very now, and it feels very modern and current at the same time feeling like wonderfully retro with like the the space the space patrol that mm -hmm. came down to earth i feel right, like they, they revived cyborg really well this season but now i just feel like he doesn't need to be there not doesn't need to be there story-wise like in terms of the actual what's happening in that world i just i could excise him and it wouldn't really matter to me i wouldn't feel yeah. different about it so, but to that point though, and I actually was going to say, I like the fact that this season seems, I mean, obviously there's a mega plot brewing, but it seems rel like you could say the same thing I think about Larry and Rita. They're both really mostly on a character journey as opposed to a narrative one, which I really like. Yeah, but their character journeys attach very well in the past and mm -hmm. to the chief more than Cyborg's random wandering in here's my true. father kind of stuff true 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 brent were you gonna say that before yeah <laughs> <laughs> i did breathing like, uh, heavy i um, um my one storyline that i don't mind rita because she can talk all day long and be in some oh, shit, sort of yeah. off broadway's nonsense and i have so much time for it larry's storyline of like after this episode i've decided i'm going to go back and talk to my family. Yeah. They're like, didn't we already do that like 14 times already? It's, it seems a little bit repetitive where the other storylines are moving forward just a little bit more. Yeah. Well, then I, I should surprise you by, you're just going to have to deal with it next week too. <laughs> spoilers. Um, no. so what, what, I, what I liked about Larry this episode was him meeting uh, Valentina yes. Vostok, who is a character in the comics. She plays Negative Woman whereas Larry was negative man. So in wow. the second iteration of Doom Patrol, she was one of the negative spirit and like was, you know, had was a superhero with that team. Um, mm -hmm. But I like that she's like, I came to peace with my negative spirit within like five years. And he's like, mm -hmm. five years? I've been living with this spirit for like over, like over 50. And uh, it's just, you know, uh, I, I don't know how to deal with it, but I'm hoping that this gives him some direction besides just going back to his family, right? I really didn't like that he felt, I mean, I understand why he felt bad, but in the context of her situation versus his, yeah, just left alone with these two dorks who perhaps at the time weren't infected by spores, but later would be, and kind of sat in a, you know, vacuum controlled space for five years, you know, which isn't an ideal scenario, but it's much better than the torturous, like monstrous scenario he was placed under where uh, the US government is trying to extract his negative spirit and he doesn't have that time uh, to like build and grow and then kind of learns to treat this thing which people are trying to extract out of him as being like an enemy because it causes him direct pain. I wish the show, you know, like maybe he was able to say something about that so you know, he, he didn't have to like suffer so much in that conversation with the Russian girl, but I agree I, with that. I didn't love I, that his torture was kind of put aside for a second. Okay. Uh, that's not how I, I saw it. I think he saw when he 
was talking to Valentina, um, he found finally a kindred spirit. And the fact that he saw that she was able to deal with it so quickly, even though the circumstances are completely different. I think it's very much in character for someone like Larry to say, like, just have this moment of like, I wish I could have come to peace sooner, even though there's a variety of reasons why it didn't happen. Because their situations were very different. Uh, the environments were very different. The circumstances were very different. Um, but I just think that's still very much in character. So I, that, didn't, that didn't really bother I, me at all. Sorry, I should say, I don't disagree with that. I actually think the reason why I'm so angered by it and annoyed by it is because I think it's a good character bump. It's a good contrast. But I don't like that, you know, I, I, I'm liking Larry a little bit more and more. And I don't like that there's no one there to say, hey, but you suffered too in this process. One thing that I didn't think about until you were both talking was the fact that like, I don't know how much that scene was supposed to be, but it does actually almost fit a good allegory. Is allegory the right word? Of like people accepting that they're gay. So there's like people that self-load themselves for years. And then there's other people that are like, and to, your, to both of your points, it's like, oh, I, if you exist in an environment with family and what have you, it's much easier to come to terms with who you are if you have an accepting environment. Um, so I just thought it was like, it was interesting. I was like, oh, that actually would be a really cool layer to see if that's what they were also intending with that. Cause I, I like that. Ryan, what were you gonna say? One, one more thing and then we can close out with this, but it's just, um, I love that the more accepting environment is two somewhat hot guys that are just gay zombies that you could just be like, if I, if I'm around this, I'll be fine. But if like, I have to deal with the real <laughs> hey, you old, up, hey, you old so-and-so, let's wrestle you old so-and-so. I love yeah. girls. We got through it in our own ways. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. He, he's ready for anything. It was his Let me blow you. Let me give you a blowjob. <laughs> All right, should we move on, Brent? Yeah, yeah let's, uh, let's go ahead and move into those, those, their fresh comics. We got so many Empire comics. Uh, why don't we start with Empire number two? Anyone wanna jump up and take that one? Take it by the uh, bull's horn? Um, yeah, I'm happy to do that. And I'll, what we'll do is let's just talk about, like uh, we're, we're reviewing Empire number two as well as Empire X-Men number one and then the Empire, uh, Hulkling one-shot, which was a lead-in to, to Empire. Um, I'm really just delighted by this crossover. I really am. Um, I think the second issue was still rather strong. I think the, the team interactions are really lovely, and I, w I hope that Al Ewing uh, ends up writing Avengers after this is over. Like, I like Jason Aaron as a writer, but I haven't really cared for his Avengers run. I think uh, Ewing does a really nice job with it. Uh, I think uh, they played into, for me, some body horror stuff, especially with uh, the Katati, like, getting into Ben Grimm, the thing, like, uh, and how, like, he was so incapacitated because of all the, you know, sort of the ridges on his body. Uh, I think that was a really nice character moment. And there was just some cool-ass shit. I mean, like, Carol Danvers with uh, an accuser's hammer. Like, I was like, if I saw that in, like, a movie, it would have been, like, seeing Endgame. I would have been jumping out of my seat. I'm like, fuck yeah, that's... This is the cool cosmic shit I want to see. And those moments are all earned, mm -hmm. right? Does she not, do, do you, like, if you're a superhero, do you think it'd be weird to take up the mantle, the accuser? <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe, yeah. maybe you just call me, just keep calling me Carol. That's fine. <laughs> Carol, Carol the accuser. The yeah. Carol the accuser is wonderful. Um, it, I yeah, also, like, who, who did this? And then she always pipes <laughs> in. She always She's like right there with his cell phone. She, I believe. Oh my God. Could you imagine if Batrock the Leaper had the, had the hammer? He'd be Jacuzer. <laughs> um, I also love that Kwai, uh, Kwai, uh, the head Koi? of the Katati, Kwai, uh, he, um, he basically takes the name Avengers literally and there's something about that i just fucking loved it i don't know it's just it's just hitting all like the cosmic marvel shit i really just dig 
I like the fact that Swordsman was like betray- betrayer of the X Men in like the early seventies, and suddenly he's like betrayer again after he became good, and suddenly he's a bet- like betrays him for a second time. Yeah, no, I I, I liked uh, all of the Empire issues. I think um, it it's funny to me because it feels, and maybe it's because we've only been reading the main Empire storyline a lot mostly. It feels pretty self like. It feels tight, even though it's obviously a giant intergalactic fight. It just feels more, the stakes feel a little bit more heavy because I think a lot of the character, it's been just about the characters. It hasn't been like so much about the wide scale destruction that I think, uh, I always fuck this up. War, Realm of War, War of Realms. War of Realms, yeah. Like War of Realms was like just- This is your Marauders. Yeah, exactly. It was too much of the, not not being completely connected to all of the titles, it was hard to really care because it just seems so overly destructive where, whereas I think right now they're the, keeping the main title focused on just easy, tight storyline of what's going on. Uh, it just makes it more interesting. Um, as much as I love the main title, I think the uh, sort of the ancillary titles we read this week, I loved even more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about X-Men and Clark, I think you should talk about Hulkling um, because you're the one who recommended it to us. X-Men, I was like a little uh, just sort of nervous about because one, it was Jonathan Hickman, who we love, co-writing with Teeny Howard, who we've had some issues with, uh, with her uh, run on Excalibur. But this was a really good issue. Um, uh-huh. I, lo- I think it was super well written. Really cool shit happened. The art was wonderful in a very sort of Mike Mignola-esque, like sort of like aesthetic. But like the stuff of like Wanda going to Doctor Strange to look for guidance after M-Day, uh, absolutely amazing. Her going to Genosha to like try to undo, you know, the M-Day stuff in her own way and then creating mutant zombies, like, what a fucking weird, cool concept. And then, like, you know, the Katati coming down there to, like, basically setting up base at Genosha to take out Wakanda. Uh, like, all of that kind of, like, converging, it felt very natural. Like, it was, like, I was wondering how they were going to bring the X-Men into it. I, I figured it was all the plant stuff. But, like, all of that makes a ton of sense, too. Ryan? I'm very excited. It was really good as you. Yeah, it's a, it was super fun. And you could tell that they, act, it was, like, a, it was a crossover issue, but it was truly like just an X-Men comic. And it didn't feel like a forced, which happens so often, a forced issue where it's just somehow is connected to the event in some ancillary way. But like, this was so well done. They brought back these old ladies that love plants so much. Like horticulture. Yeah, there's, it, it was so well done. I, I, I love them co-writing together too. It, it worked out really well. Right. Uh, there's uh, so there's a lot of uh, I think really fun moments. The the way that they did zombies, where the zombie uh, says, "I think I understood what I was saying. I was speaking very clearly." Uh, <laughs> that was great. And then the kind of uh, major panels where they're like alien plants versus mutant zombies. Yeah, those are brilliant. Yeah, uh, I love that. But there was a moment where I literally cringed so hard and I had to set my phone down for a minute because my bones hurt so bad. And it's when one of the Kotati generals is talking to his side man and he goes, uh, I mean the mission, you leafy disaster of a soldier, Rutabaga. And Rutabaga is the name of one of his cohort. And it hurt my bones that they decided to spell that out and it also sounds like a goddamn root vegetable we have on Earth. Maybe furious. Yeah, that's fair. That's the Marvel Universe for you. That's fair, though. It would be like us being like someone's called bag of walking meat or something yeah. like that. It just would make no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's my friend Hugh Mann. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, I think it's a very fun issue. I, yeah. Uh, I, read, Ryan, not having I, read all the Genosha stuff, uh, I did really enjoy uh, seeing Wanda kind of have this very painful uh, experiment to try and bring back mutants. Mm-hmm. Even out of context, it was so well done. Yeah, I love the interaction of, like, the little team that they had of Angel, M, uh, and Madrox. 
uh, and Ileana, like I thought that was so like, like their chemistry is so good. And I agree with you, Ryan, it felt, it just felt like another issue of the X-Men. Like it was so well integrated with this crossover. Like it just didn't stick out like a sore thumb. And it gives me a little bit of optimism for 10 of swords because Hickman and T Howard are going to be working very closely together. And if like, if this is the, the output that we're going to see, then I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good about it. So. Uh, Clark, do you want to take us into uh, uh, Lords of Empire Emperor Hulkling? Yeah, I was very happy I read it and then made you guys read it because you were talking about how this, I, I don't, I think this was kind of necessary to the functionality of the miniseries. It just felt weird for him to suddenly be in charge and we don't really know why or how mm -hmm. it's related to his actual real life and stuff. It just, I didn't, I, I read Empire um, number two first and I don't know if I loved it until disconnected and now I'm like okay now I have the whole picture I can appreciate the main series now like I wasn't appreciating it all until this until I started reading it anyways um in Lords of Empire Hulkling Wiccan is busy with his team that we re stopped reading the comic that was also by Teeny Howard and so he's busy with um with oh god winter soldier and all that kind of shit anyways so teddy's lonely and upset he makes a fake um, i love when he made fake spider-man out of his own arm i mean own, great. own shoulder great moment so anyways he goes to a gay bar with um billy's boyfriend uh, billy's boyfriend jesus hopefully not his brothers his boyfriend um billy's brother speed and prodigy who we find out like speed is also kind of queer which we did not know about until this very moment like they make out no, like no, one no. and a half beers. No, no, no. They they brought that up in the last Young Avengers that they did. Too. Yeah, no, 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 no. The two they of did. not the two of them. Speed was still seemingly straight. Not if we learned Prodigy was by. We did not learn that Speed was by until right now. Well, it's a spectrum. <laughs> yeah, because Speed wasn't on the actual team. Spectrum they wasn't a Rambo. What? Anyways, so <laughs> we made the same joke. Yeah. Anyways. Um, you know, Billy Lee, excuse me, Teddy gets taken away and he has to become the, you know, new emperor and they talk about all that stuff and then Billy shows up because the evil version of the scrolls come and then he has to pretend to disavow poor Billy and it doesn't work out and they start banging and it's good. <laughs> and that's what happened. I love the moment when... Um, some random bitch says, protect the hot twonk with the enormous arms. I love the fact that twink and twonk and all these gay terms are just now functionally in the Marvel Universe. They're, they're not even Earth terms. They're galactic terms yeah. now. I, yeah. love I know, yeah, yeah. The Kree call people twinks. It's great. Obliterate that twink is my favorite. I want that twink obliterated. I, I actually posted it on our Instagram and uh, Twitter channels because I couldn't stop laughing when I saw that panel. Could not so stop. Do you think that was the same as I want this cow uh, uh, disintegrated? It rivals. It rivals. It's pretty good. Yeah. Well, Chip um, Zdarsky, Chip Zdarsky wrote this. Who um, he's written Invaders and a bunch of stuff, and he was the artist on uh, Sex Criminals, a book that we've read before. Um, and he's got a very irreverent style, so like he definitely leans into like queer themes uh, and like not shying away from uh, showing, um, you know, just like being very sexual in his work, which I, I think is great. My favorite, my other favorite thing was when they are at the bar, there is a drag queen named uh, the Emkron Crystal. Like, I'm like, yeah. yes, queen. I fucking loved it so much. It was so good. But how would we have known that it was a gay bar unless every single panel <laughs> was a rainbow? I, yeah, this was, I did like this book because it was just unapologetically gay and also like a perfect example where like it being gay doesn't have to be the focus. Like the focus was really good storytelling, interesting dialogue, uh, a fun real lead in to what you were saying, Clark, of like how he really did get where he got to. Like it all really filled in the blanks and made a lot of sense. And so again, it was a real big ad for me for Empire because I don't really need to know that much about everything else in terms of the history of the lead up. And I think it really, really worked out perfectly for, for certainly humanizing Hulkling too. Oh, and that bed scene, the bed scene was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you didn't- I Haven't they, seen that before in Marvel. 
Yeah. They didn't need to focus on the uh, the kind of gay romance, but I think they actually did it really well. Yeah. I'm annoyed when uh, 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 Hulkling, you know, banished Wiccan, and then Wiccan shows right back up, and he's like, JK, I know it's not serious. I'll be at home. <laughs> yeah. You go save the universe. Which is really what we've all done in front of our parents. And you know hey, I mean? <laughs> the, really, the really good news is that they did not refrigerate Wiccan, right? You have to yes, well, okay. kill somebody so, to establish. So yeah, by the end of this, I think one of them might be dead because they're really playing this up very hardcore. <laughs> like very, I, a lot. I'm I, worried. Oh no, I'm going to accuse Marvel of a hate crime if they kill either one of them. I love them both so much. I did laugh really hard because when Wiccan showed up again, I was like, oh, that's right. He's in that terrible book, Strike Force. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to call it Stormfront. I don't fucking remember it. And it's about to be canceled, Strike Force. Like, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was supposed to have a crossover with this series, and then they're like, no, fuck it. It's done. Yep. No one will ever know about, about those Zavordians or whatever, those the Vridrai that you're not supposed to speak of. Yeah, let, yeah, we don't speak of them anymore, Adam. Why'd you bring it up? Um, should we uh, do the last, yeah. three, last three books? Yeah. So the last... uh, oh, so Kaylin, you cover it. Yeah, sure. Um, the last three are all uh, Dawn of X books. Uh, it's New Mutants number 11. It's Wolverine number three. And the much awaited, at least the much awaited by me, second issue of Hellions, which what a fucking great book. I'm, I just like the first issue was really good. I reread it uh, before reading the second issue. Second issue was even better. Like I, this is like the kind of suicide squad type, like dirty dozen type, like X book that I've always wanted. Like this could be like an X-Force book, if that makes sense. Um, This is also a suicide squad that everyone's going to come back from the dead. Yeah, exactly. Because Empath dies I, in this episode, which is hilarious. I love Just that. Just gets oh. shot right in the head by Scalp Hunter. But Scalp, we've already Scalp seen Hunter, him. In... What? Scal- no, Scalp Hunter like stole the show for me. Oh, him great. and Wild Child both. Like I think I they were little, both. They're the two two strongest characters in the book. I was a little bummed by Empath dying because he's the only other one besides Havoc who has a personal connection with the Goblin Queen, and it felt yeah. very strange because I thought that would have been a very good interaction that never gonna happen because he's out of the storyline for a little bit i well i, I thought that was a missed so he, opportunity i thought it was so he could be incorporated later and then they have that interaction on a separate time is what i was thinking because i was thinking the same thing we'll see we'll see about that it was I a great issue. i loved really hard uh when psylocke is like injured and she's hiding and then she's like fucking wild child you're right here <laughs> right now and wild child's like yes <laughs> super rick and morty vibe where rick is like uh randotron's like time to plan the heist right no randotron this is not a good time that's why it's random <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's got the the voices are so perfect for every single character it's amazing I love how creepy the whole nanny thing is. And her, like, it turns out she was trying to nurse him. Just, yeah. just so weird. Hunter. So weird. Yeah. <laughs> so gross. Also, Scalp Hunter, I was like, okay, so he'll be, like, sort of the moral, like, gr- like he'll be, like, what everyone is, like, strives to be because he's trying to be better. And then he just shoots Empath in the face. And I was like, oh, oh okay, so no one is. Wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. When, when is Scalp Hunter the moral compass well, of anything? Well, he was seeming the most reasonable of the bunch when they were all talking. And I was like, okay, he's trying to help and, like, do so, And then just boom. Yeah. But wait, no, hold on. Caitlin, you should ask the question like this. When is Scalp Hunter the moral center. <laughs> oh, thank you. I put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Okay. Um, but it, hey, uh, when is the murder kill guy gonna uh, be the moral center of? The I mean, group? the guy who perpetrated the fucking mutant massacre, and they reference it in issue one of the anniversary. Oh, look, of the is here. He'll save us. One of the things I liked about it is that they have, you know, they have all the. Uh, the Marauders brought back, except for they didn't bring Vertigo back because she's not a mutant. She's a mutate. So it just felt that yeah. they don't need her for the story, which I'm very pleased with because it always makes no sense, even though she's my favorite of the Marauders. Um, 
it just felt feels weird. And I like the fact they're really paying attention to continuity and actual story and character so well. And the series is fucking awesome. I can't, I want to, I want to, it's going to be my favorite. I'm going to say in like three issues. I, I had a I had a question about it. So um, the it seems like all those clones were just being remade, and they were the ones that were still there. Somehow, Scalp Hunter like sort of separated from the pack. I don't really remember how that happened um, at some point. Scalp Hunter um, was part of oh gosh, when, what were they doing in San Francisco? What the hell was the name of it? Utopia. Utopia. He, he was he was on the island in Utopia and actually oh, right. dealing with him and dealing or working with him. I think he was a bartender at some point. Either that or was Avalanche. <laughs> I'm not sure which. One of the two was a bartender, and he was in quite a few issues of that series of that version of Uncanny. So maybe that's part of why he's doing this. I don't know. Could be. Yeah, he separated at some point. I was just wondering, but yeah, it. Um, I like that they're like. Do we want to bring back these fucking insane people that have been rebooted forty-five million times? Probably not. Well, they did. <laughs> so the last two issues were um, Wolverine number three and New Mutants number 11. And both are very competent issues. Uh, but compared to the rest of the output this week, it's just hard to like talk about them because of like the high quality of the rest of the books. They're perfectly fine. Um, my only thing is I want, like I reread the first two issues of Wolverine as well because it's been several months. I want them to focus back on like the Dracula Lord of the yeah. Undead storyline. That was much more interesting than, you know, whatever, like the shiny woman, woman or whatever. The pale the woman, pale thank you. Girl. Whatever. I got it all wrong. Uh, like, I'm like, eh, I'm kind of like, it just feels like a very, like, I've seen this kind of Wolverine story before a number of times in his series, even though Benjamin Percy is a better writer than like Daniel Way and you know other writers who've, who've written Wolverine. Adam? The biggest problem I had with that book, because it, it just, it sort of like pulled back the curtain for me and especially after X-Men Red, I'm like, why the fuck doesn't everybody have a helmet like Magneto? I was like, <laughs> it, it, it like called into question. I'm like, these fucking idiots are running around completely with no helmets on or like whenever there's like a character in this series that has like some special armament that protects them from something, I'm like, Shouldn't they all have that on at all times? That's just the uniform for everyone now. <laughs> no, you already the put X's Adam. on everything. Just give everyone a helmet. You know what I mean? No, like, you can't because because Magneto got that off of Etsy, <laughs> and very hard to get new ones made. So <laughs> I did. I really liked Quentin Choir in uh, the Wolverine issue. I think they. It was just a hugely strong week for comics. Like I thought everything had its own like positives and even new mutants was interesting like it was the best of the Ed Brisson issues well yeah exactly the best of the, the most recent run yeah this kind of storyline because it was just a boring storyline but it, it came awesome. together a little bit for me which i liked. i so, liked and i liked in wolverine when the cuckoos are like we're only going to help you if we can fuck cable <laughs> yeah, literally, they don't care about anything else. They just want cable. That was that was a very good moment. That was a really good moment. I'm excited for the next issue of Cable, which is going to be next yeah. week. Yep. The the one thing I'll say about New Mutants. So I I've been rereading like all the Don of X stuff. I reread Hox and Pox. I've been rereading all the Don, Don of X stuff like sequentially. And you know, <laughs> in the last few days, I, I I did New Mutants. I did I separated it out. So I read the Jonathan Hickman stuff when they're out in space. Uh, because it led up to like the whole King's Egg thing, uh, the last two issues of X-Men that came out. And then I read like the Ed Brisson issues where they go to Nebraska, where Beacon Angel are, uh, you know, and then they have the Amara storyline. And the plots for the Ed Brisson stuff are just kind of meh, but I will give him credit. Like he gets the voices of most of the New Mutants really well. I think the one that he's kind of off on is Armor, but that doesn't bother me so much. But the rest of them, like, I like the interaction. I like the way he writes Boom Boom. Like, like I think he, like, Boom Boom is such, like, a wonderful character. Mm -hmm. I know she's one of your favorites, Ryan. Um, and I, I just know you're trying her. to appeal to me, and you're right. You've done it. Yeah. You did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm pandering. I'm pandering to you. I like where the Ed Brutes and stuff is going, just in terms of the fact that they're doxing the fuck out of all these mutants which yeah. I find horrifying and interesting at the same time. And that's what we're not really, we weren't realizing we were seeing. And now we're like, shit, this is happening because some dick bags are putting people's addresses on the internet, which yeah. is fucking what happens in the real world all the goddamn time. Yeah, no, it feels very modern. 
Um, so I'm, I'm appreciating it for that reason. And again, I think sort of taking a step back and reading the stuff in like big chunks has really helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marauders got even better. The X-Men series, which is wonderful, is great. Uh, surprisingly, Excalibur didn't, <laughs> it didn't get better. It was just like, I was still just as like, whatever about it, reading it all in like one sort of fell swoop. But, you know, wow. it is what it is. So uh, next week, uh, we've got the seventh episode of Doom Patrol, which Clark has already watched. So I'll tell you about it now. <laughs> no, wait. Uh, and then we've got um, uh, Cable number two, which I referenced earlier, the 10th issue of X-Men, which I'm very excited about, and the premiere of X-Factor. Um, so I'm super excited for that book. It's Gays. Leah Williams who's writing it. Uh, it's a lot of gay shit. It deals with the five. It deals with a new investigatory arm on Krakoa. Rachel Summers or Rachel, yeah, Rachel Summers is going to be in it. Um, and yeah. How I'm are we leading with that shitty character? Polaris is going to be in it. Oh, yeah. Polaris is going to be in it too. <laughs> you scared Kayla. I'm glad. Yeah, all right. So that, that marks the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. We've been home here. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.